So recently, in the aftermath of another senseless mass shooting, this one at a community college in Oregon, there was this mini controversy over the way that journalists handled their search for sources. A woman was live tweeting her surroundings at the college, and in response, journalists from ABC, NBC, CNN, and others asked for her contact info for an interview. Most added a, hope you're okay, or a please be safe, but even with the quick, kind words, a screenshot of the replies bounced around the internet, tagged with comments of disgust and snark. The journalism community then fought back and stood up for their comrades. As Jason Silverstein of the New York Daily News told the Washington Post, you can't be a reporter of, well, anything without doing lots of things that are perceived as rude. But what's the alternative? Calling the father of a kid who died too young or the woman who just witnessed a tragedy. These are not the fun parts of the job. But as journalists know, these tough encounters aren't contained to breaking news. They happen in investigative reporting too. And that's a significant part of the story we're telling today. And it was, it was very painful for her. And it was painful for all of us. It was the hardest interview I think I've ever done in my whole life. On this episode, Jeff Mitrat of the Minneapolis Star Tribune walks us through how he approached these heart-wrenching interviews about deaths on family farms. Mitrat tracked down documents detailing hundreds of such deaths and then started calling families one by one, convincing people to go on the record and share their stories, also not convincing them in some cases. And just a quick disclaimer here before we start, this episode is pretty sad. We've got some audio in here that's pulled from the paper's video interviews with some of these families. And that video had some people in the Star Tribune office in tears. To be honest, there were some tears here in the IRE office as well. We just want you to know what you're getting into. Anyway, our contributor Aaron Pellish brings you this story. I'm Sean Shinneman, and you're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. I grew up in a farm town. Um, I grew up in southeastern Minnesota, a town of 2,600 people. One of my first jobs was baling hay, and um, my grandpa owned a farm. My cousins um, farmed. My uncle farmed. Um, my mom learned how to drive a tractor at the age of eight. Um, I, probably my most interesting job before I could drive a car was the summer I spent on a, a dairy farm outside Caledonia. That's Jeff Mitrot. For six years. He's been a reporter at the Minneapolis Star Tribune. And in December 2014, he had just finished a four-month-long reporting project on ATV accidents when, like any reporter fresh off an assignment, he began looking around for something new. And really, I was just always interested in uh, worker safety. And uh, it was something that we hadn't really done in a significant way at the Star Tribune. He went on to spend 10 months reporting on the issue narrowing his focus down to farm safety and publishing a four-part multimedia package this fall. His investigation found disturbing trends in farming deaths and workplace regulations over the last 10 years. 
between 2004 and 2014, more than 200 people died while farming in Minnesota. Most of the fatalities happened on small family farms with less than 11 workers, which are generally exempt from federal and state safety regulations. More than two-thirds of those deaths involved incidents where the workers were violating regulations. State officials investigated only six. Jeff spoke with about 50 families of people who had died, examining the circumstances surrounding their deaths in an attempt to explain what was causing farmers to die on the job at such a high rate. It was some of the most difficult reporting of his career. I can understand why some of the folks who respond to these incidents get PTSD because it's just really disturbing. And um, these people did not die easily. It's just some of the most gruesome stuff you can imagine. Jeff's first step was to check and see if any other reporters had taken a look at farm-related deaths across several states. And he was surprised when he couldn't find any. So he went to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics and pulled 20 years' worth of agricultural worker death reports for each state. He discovered that farm fatalities in Minnesota had increased by 30% from 2003 to 2013 compared to the previous decade. Other Midwest states had seen a similar increase. But on the national level, over the same period of time, farm deaths had dropped. It took Jeff a while to get his hands on these reports, but once he did, he knew he had a story. The six states that had the biggest growth were all in the Midwest, and so that said, okay, so we have a pattern here. The whole rest of the country is going down. The Midwest is going up. Minnesota is one of those states that's going up. That told me that that's worth investigating, that that's worth digging into and finding out, gee whiz, after decades of declines, why are farm deaths going up in some states, in a handful of states, and they're all in the Midwest and they're going down everywhere else. Jeff wanted to use the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports as the foundation for his investigation. He assumed when he first started his research that BLS would be a one-stop shop for data, incident reports, and information about each worker. But the Bureau only provided annual numbers on how many people died in each state. And Jeff wanted to know more. I had to figure out, you know, how do I go out and get all that paper? How do I document the deaths that are happening since BLS only gives me a number and nothing to, you know, tell me what's, you know, what kind of incidents are those? One of the really smart things the Star Tribune keeps on hand in the newsroom is a searchable database of every death certificate filed in Minnesota. Death certificates are public record in Minnesota, so the paper makes a point of requesting an updated copy of the database each year. Jeff had used it for previous stories, and he figured it would come in handy yet again. So he entered dozens of keywords in various fields to try and gather all the farm-related deaths that occurred in Minnesota in the last 10 years. And just by kind of blindly fishing for data points in a massive pool, he found more farm-related deaths than BLS had reported. The explanation behind this discrepancy was actually pretty straightforward. BLS was only counting farm workers who died on the job but Jeff's piecemeal search was catching every death that occurred on a farm, regardless of whether the people who died were employees. Or, to put it another way, BLS was interpreting the word farm as an employer. Jeff was defining that same word as a place. They'll count the tractor worker if he got killed, but they won't count the people that got killed when they ran into the tractor. And so then you just have to decide, okay, is the BLS definition, in a sense, the only thing we're going to write about? Or are there other issues that people who study this issue think are really important, too? And in this case, there were other things that people thought were really important. And one of those was children, you know, killed because 
They were either helping mom and dad or they were on the scene and exposed to hazardous machinery that children of parents who don't work on farms are not exposed to um, and, and tractors on the road. So those kinds of issues that that are out there and are being discussed and debated about, you know, what do we do about these kinds of problems? We thought it was, it was it didn't make any sense to sort of take them out of the universe simply because that was how BLS counted them. At the end of the day, we were writing about farm safety, and so we felt like we're going to use their data and explain those are the trends. We're not going to recreate that number in a sense and say, well, actually, we think 217 people died in Minnesota. You know, we never published our number to, in a sense, challenge their number. We, we went with their numbers. We used those for all the comparative purposes. But then when we wanted to drill down and say, here's what's happening. Here's how people are dying. Here's the kinds of mistakes they're making. Then we just we followed definitions of farm deaths that made sense to the larger farm community. Once Jeff had collected his list of names using the death certificate database, he started calling county sheriffs across the state, asking for incident reports and other records associated with the cases he was interested in. He talked with 70 different sheriff's departments. Some of the officials he spoke with had never received a records request before, and that required some patience and some finesse on Jeff's part. I think some of them just thought, gee, this is really private information. And I think they, they just the idea that this was public just floored them, that uh, an incident report showing how somebody died in a farm accident was the same as when, you know, they made an arrest, uh, uh, you know, for somebody who burglarized uh, somebody's farm. Well, they, they got that, you know, hey, well, if it's related to a public arrest, that's a public record. But if the same guys went on and investigated a farm accident, it just didn't click to them that that was equally, you know, a public record. So I don't, I don't think they were, in, you know, inherently anti-press or that they were trying to keep this private for some kind of reason that's not proper. I think it was just really they didn't know how this worked, and so they didn't know it was the same kind of record. And I just had to be real patient and kind of walk them through that because at the end of the day, I, you know, I wanted all the records. Jeff eventually got documents for each of the 211 deaths he was interested in. But the real work was just getting started. He had the numbers. Now he needed the faces behind them. Of the more than 100 families Jeff contacted for the story... About half eventually spoke with him on the record. He knew asking relatives to talk about these tragedies would be difficult, so he used a couple strategies to gather material while still being respectful. One of them was, to, when I called, was to not treat this as a, um, an interview request, not say, hi, how would you feel about talking to me about Subject X? Instead, I, I was calling people to let them know what we were working on. And by, by in a sense, just giving them a heads up and saying, hey, I wanted to let you know that, um, you know, after identifying myself, I, I, I tell them, hey, I just wanted to let you know that we're doing a really in-depth look at farm safety and the incident involving your husband or your brother is one of the incidents that we're looking at. You know, we've collected reports from all over the state and we're looking at over 200 incidents and we're talking to as many of those families as possible and some of them have wanted to share details about what happened. Other, others don't. They feel like it's a private issue. And I totally respect your wishes either way, but I'd make it clear that, you know, we are going to be writing about this and that the death involving their family member 
could very well show up in the report, and the last thing I wanted them for, uh, to happen was for them to be surprised when they saw that. Jeff was upfront about his assignment and his intentions. He explained to the families how he wanted to shed light on a serious problem and try to ease their sense of anxiety. But I really wanted to, as much as possible, soften the blow of hearing from some, you know, totally outside agency about, you know, something that really probably is still very painful for them. And to make it clear that I didn't want to make this, um, you know, uh, an exercise in, in, in them taking me inside something terribly painful for no good reason at all. Like for them to see, okay, well, lots of people have died just like your husband did or, or, or your brother did. And we want to help other people avoid getting in the same kind of, you know, um, accident. And so we think the only way for them to understand that is for the, you know, us to write about what happened to, to other people. And it was surprising how many of them got that. Getting families to agree to go on the record was difficult enough. But actually sitting down with the victims' families was another challenge entirely. It's impossible to read the stories and watch the videos published by the Star Tribune and not feel waves of raw and conflicting emotions. Grief, anger, pride, and often, right at the core, guilt. That was the case with the family of Jake Fugley. In 2010, the 24-year-old was driving his grandfather's 63-year-old tractor. Jake's mother hated the tractor because it was old and dangerous. His grandfather loved the tractor out of loyalty. While plowing snow one day, Jake rode up on a mild slope, tipped the tractor, and died. Here's a clip from a video interview with Jake's mother and grandfather, which accompanied Jeff's story. He was cleaning my driveway. We had like 10 inches of snow. Like the deputy sheriff said, that's what I thought all along. Jake made a small mistake, and it, the tractor turned it into a fatality. Finding out after Jake died that it had tipped over four times previously, I knew about one, but not all those. It's not something that I wanted to see happen at all. And if I had any inkling there was something wrong with this tractor, I would never let it go. It's a matter of using some personal responsibility and, and, and knowing your limits and knowing the limits of the vehicle that you're driving. Jeff saw that tension in multiple families he spoke with. Some people, like Jake's grandfather, disagree with the premise of Jeff's story. Some even refused to speak to him. But he knew those voices were a significant part of the story, and he knew they had to be included. When stuff like this happens, you can either decide it's preventable and, and my loved one did something um, that got them killed and, um, and we want other people to learn from this, or it was a freak accident that could have happened to anybody and nobody can learn anything from this, and so why even talk about it? I mean, those were, if there were two camps, those were probably the two main camps. Jeff also spoke with Al and Shelley Fenton who operate a farm in New Richland, Minnesota. In the winter of 2013, Al's boss called him to plow snow for a feed truck coming later that day. Shelly was sick with pneumonia, so Al had to watch their two-year-old son, Benny. Al's boss kept pressuring him to clear the path, so he decided to take Benny with him. Al and a narrator describe what happened in a video interview. Me and Benny went out 
to go moose snow. I mean, he loved to ride in the skid loader with me. I mean, that's how I learned to ride, drive a skid loader, was I rode with a farmer. I should have known better. Benny stood on the floor of the skid loader between his father's legs. As Al was finishing up the job, he hit a bump. Benny fell forward with his head outside the open cab as the bucket came down. When I took him from the skid loader to take him to my, to run to my truck, I, I knew he was dead. I, I knew the back of his skull was crushed and because I accidentally, my hand slipped there and I knew what was, I knew he was dead because I knew what Dylan was like and stuff. So I just, how he was and stuff. And I knew he was. Three years earlier, Shelley Fenton's 13-year-old son, Dylan, was killed when a grain truck clipped his ATV on the side of the road. When Benny died, Shelley didn't want to know about the moments leading to his death. So the day that we did the interview was literally the first time she heard the, the details of what happened that day. And it was, it was very painful for her. It was painful for all of us. It was the hardest interview I think I've ever done in my whole life. But Jeff found that both Al and Shelley could see the bigger picture and understand how their stories might resonate with readers. She talked to us, I think, um, because she thought that other people could learn from what happened. And at the same time, I think she, and, and she's told us this after publication, she felt that it, it maybe gave some meaning to you know, her loss, that, that maybe her child didn't die for nothing. And um, I mean, she's been haunted by this death, and so has her husband, Al. Um, but you could see, in a sense, that talking about this was still extraordinarily painful for him. But but Al, you know, as we talked through what had happened, and we started asking him about training and safety issues, it was something that really mattered to him, and he he connected the dots in ways that required no prompting from us, because he's pissed off that anybody ever let him in a sense, be in that position to put his little boy in jeopardy. And and what was interesting was how he didn't pass the buck, he didn't do a lot of finger pointing, he, he really blames himself. But at the same time, he's sort of like, you know, how come, you know, people think it's okay for us farm workers to just jump on this equipment and, 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 and use it and not teach us how to do it safely? Jeff and his editors had to wade through several powerful stories like the Fenton's to decide which narratives serviced the investigation and made it into the final story. They all had to really speak to the larger themes and our findings and, and truly be connective and not just outrageous. I mean, I remember a meeting I had with um, my bosses in the summer when we were discussing things and when we came back with the video of the Fenton family. And for the first time in my career, I saw people crying in a newsroom meeting. Um, and we knew what we had was powerful, but the first question my editor had was, okay, this is really powerful stuff, but does it connect to your main themes? And how? Jeff finally started putting together his stories in July of this year. 
10 months after he first went to the Bureau of Labor Statistics for reports on farm deaths. But there was still one missing piece. Jeff had always planned to go to a state that enforced strict regulations on small farms as a kind of success story that could shine through all of the sadness. So in August, his newspaper paid to fly him out to Washington State to report on the benefits of effective regulations. When he got there, he found that the farmers he spoke with were excited about the chance to serve as an example. And that was really a matter of, you know, bringing them all the way into the process and saying, hey, the reason we're coming out to Washington State is because you guys are one of only three states that enforce the rules on small farms. And we think that's really interesting. We want to know what impact that's had. And we want to talk to everybody about their about that. And, and we want as much evidence as possible. So they were, you know, they were really clued into, like, why they were the focal point. And, 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 and we also made it clear that we've got to see how it works. And so... They were like, oh, yeah, you're right. We get it. We get it. So they wanted to find us farms. They wanted to show because they really believed that what they're doing out there is making a difference. And I think they kind of felt like, gee, if other states would do what we're doing, a lot of farmers' lives could be saved. Jeff's story was published in October of this year. He got a few calls from state politicians who read the piece and pledged to raise the issue in the coming months. He also received calls from families in farm towns across Minnesota. Some were from people he'd interviewed telling him they thought he did a good job. But others were from people he'd never spoken to, who just wanted to share their support for his work. Even if they thought um, it was never going to happen to them, some of them like said, gee whiz, maybe this kind of makes me rethink my approach. Um, th- those are some helpful messages. At the beginning of this project, Jeff thought he was writing a data story. But he learned that he needed people to make the numbers come off the page, to explain why farmers were dying and what could be done to stop it. I think... Uh, you really got to um, be open to the idea that that you don't really know what happened. You can't really judge it until you talk to the people who were there and can and share their own perspectives on it, that the documents themselves are great and that they help you find the, the families to talk about, but they leave so much out that at the end of the day, if that's all you used to write your report, you get a lot of important stuff wrong, and that um, human sources on stories like this are tremendously important and will bring you to places and tell you things and, and show you things and help you connect the dots in ways you never could have done otherwise. for listening don't forget to subscribe on itunes or stitcher to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and head over to ire.org podcast to browse our archives and as always if you have any questions or comments about the podcast ire or anything else please do drop us an email i've got i think one show left after this one i swear one of you guys are going to actually email me before i'm out of here aaron fellish reported our story this week ire web editor sarah hutchins is our editor find all of our emails in the show notes that's it for this episode from columbia missouri i'm sean shinneman
Podcast. Podcast. You might want to do that already. Okay. Yeah. Podcast. Podcast.